Hey, Wiley. So the, the pyramids of Egypt, man. What do you think about them? They're not real. It's the government trying to distract us from the real issues. Each block is two tons. And that thing's like 4,300 something feet. Yeah, come on. But at the end of the day, look, the thing is, they're limiting our technology use because they don't want us to be great. They don't want humans to be great. They want us to stay down here while they're up here, you know what I'm saying? I believe that. Y'all better wake up. Wake up, Frog Nation. Welcome back, everyone, to your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses giving their not-so-genius takes on all things TCU football and other interesting sports news around the country. We've already started out with our intro video there with a fourth genius giving his truly genius take on the pyramids and whether or not they re are real. I've been convinced that Jared Wiley will lead us to a 15-0 season because he clearly is not getting distracted by the government psyops trying to keep him down. <laughs> with, with that kickoff, I want to lead into a, a couple things that are happening around the country. First off, this week was a roller coaster for SMU. It looked about midway through the week that Barrett was going to be completely wrong about his 0% chance about SMU getting into, an AC, into a major conference because the ACC looked like they were going to offer to SMU. And we even saw Reddit College Football coming out saying that SMU losing their big rivalry may lead straight into them actually making it into a collapsing conference that is the ACC out of the frying pan and into the fire as Reddit College Football called it or escaping goblins as to be caught by wolves as Tolkien called out of the frying pan and into the fire. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, SMU was looking to get into ACC and it was going to be a failure even if they did make it. And we talked about that last week that even if they got into the ACC, that was a dumpster fire of its own. But throughout the end of the week, it turned out SMU was still not even making it into the fire because the ACC still is looking like it's going to reject them even through it all. Does anybody else have anything else they want to add on that before I move on to something else? No, they still have a 0% chance of making it, apparently. SMU's so, got another. I just wanted to stop and say zero. that the three wise men's non-genius takes are batting a 1,000 because we were right that if they got into the ACC, it still would have been a failure, and we were right that they didn't get into the ACC. With that, we've got one other thing happening in a non-dumpster fire conference, and that is Conference USA, who has asked for name suggestions for their midweek games come October. I saw this during the one of the CUSA games this weekend, and I was incredibly hyped. The first thing I want you to do, if you are listening to this right now, go to Twitter, go to at TCU's underscore three underscore Wiseman, and tweet us your Conference USA midweek game suggestion names. Barrett and Jacob, do you have names to throw out here that we want to want to use here for some? Uh, well, I think I really I think you you hit it on the head when you said gaming the game phrase. Uh, but I also love if the game does happen to be on a Thursday. I think the Thirsty Thursday Tackle Fest would just be a perfect name 
for for a uh, game that starts off the weekend because they're traditionally Friday night games. So Thirsty Thursday Tackle Fest is my is my go to. Conference USA, you heard him. Barrett, what do you got? Yeah, I like gaming the game face, uh, a true testament to the internet's prowess. Um, Thirsty Thursday Tackle Fest, we could get them some form of sponsorship by Twin Peaks. I think that'd be great. Um, <laughs> have a great time. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely send us your options and we'd love to hear all the incredible memory that you guys come up with. For, for what it's worth, when I was looking for a name, I cheated and went to chat GPT and it suggested zany zebra zone showdown. So that's, that's my be all and end all for it. With that, let's, uh, let's dive into some serious stuff. Uh, so let's hear, Jacob, can you tell us a little more about Primetime's not-so-prime team that TCU's facing this weekend? Yeah, so we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. And I just thought it would be a good idea to kind of give TCU fans a rundown of exactly who we're facing. Because Colorado brought in so many new faces of course, you know the big ones like Travis Hunter, uh, Shadur Sanders, like basically people from Jackson State. But you might not know anybody else because Lord knows I didn't know anybody else uh, because they basically brought in third stringers or USF wide receivers because apparently – USF is a school that we can all aspire to go to if we're a wide receiver. So uh, just give a quick rundown, and I'll pause after each position group so we can talk a little bit about them. Uh, but Colorado is going to be starting three to four wide receivers this year. Um, we're anticipating that Travis Hunter is going to start at the X position, uh, and then Xavier Weaver who is a transfer from USF, will start at Z. And then Jimmy Horn Jr., who is also a transfer from USF, will start at the F position. And then if there is a fourth that starts, because, frankly, they don't have a tight end, uh, it'll be Javon Antonio, who is a transfer from Northwestern State. Uh, and, honestly, Antonio and Weaver – have they, they got decent stats? Um, they're they've each been been uh, competitive. Weaver has four years, almost seventeen hundred yards uh, at USF, and then Antonio has twelve hundred yards in two years at Northwestern State. So that's those aren't bad numbers. Um, but then behind them, you don't really have much. Um, you got a couple uh, four star true freshmen. And then a transfer from Baylor, actually. Oh, I told um, you they suck. Yeah, they're the worst. Um, who has 200 yards and a touchdown in three years. And then another Jackson State wide receiver who actually didn't have bad numbers yet last year, 450 yards and five touchdowns. And an Auburn transfer who has 30 yards in two years. Uh, so that's basically their wide receiver room. If you guys have anything to say. Yeah. The, the one thing I'd say about their wide receiver room is that they went out and got a bunch of playmakers. They don't have a ton of huge guys. They got a bunch of guys who can make people miss. And that kind of um, 
that translates directly into Sean Lewis's offense, the new offensive coordinator. He's coming over from Kent State. He runs a very run-heavy offense, um, and it's really just run through RPOs and quick hitters. Um, I mean, every now and then they'll take a shot deep. Uh, they they ran the ball some of the most out of the NCAA last year at Kent State. I'm sure he'll probably take that same philosophy into Colorado's team. Um, and we'll, we'll see them try and run it down the gut. I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work for them. Um, Jacob, I don't want to take your thunder on walking through the O-line, but it, it looks iffy, to say the least, to transition over to them maybe. Yeah, and I'll also add on the wide receivers, Colorado fans on the uh, Colorado 24-7 board do claim to have four wide receivers who run a 4-3 or less. I have found Colorado fans to be completely intolerable. I'm bewildered by the confidence Colorado fans have. Absolutely. Well, I mean, when you have four players who run a 4-3 or less, <laughs> you have the right to be pretty confident. I mean, these guys were studs for um, USF last year. So, hey, Jimmy Horn is a good slot receiver. I will U- give, give them USF, that. who you'll you'll remember is the former – USF is, the, is to UCF what SMU is to us. So we're taking our new barely Power 5 school and taking their joke opponent. I mean, the, this is the people they're pulling. And on top of it, they're, I, I, they're also pulling from Jackson State, who I don't know if you guys noticed this weekend. For all they pulled for Jackson State and Jackson State losing primetime, we all picked Jackson State to lose, and they ran away with their game. Jackson State seemed to have lost no one. I don't know if they even got that good of people from Jackson State. They didn't even grab enough players from these jokes of schools to, to have these jokes of schools feel a loss. No, it's uh, yeah. they've got nothing, nothing at all. Um, I, I think the receiver room will be upgraded from last year. I mean, how could it not be? They have like nobody returning, at least not in their three deep. <laughs> but um, but I, they they think their receiver room is going to be a top twenty five receiver room in the country, uh, and I don't know if that's going to happen. Other than their not true claim that they have four players running faster than anyone in the NFL, do they have any reason for thinking that? Well, they have Travis Hunter. And, I mean, Travis Hunter might be the most athletic and best position player in all of college football history, according to Colorado fans. But he's also 160. That's the answer to the question I needed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, moving on to tight end. Um, tight end position for Colorado is pretty bleak. So their, their starting tight end got hurt. And, uh, so now they're down to a guy named Michael Harrison, who has two receptions for 12 yards. Uh, and he had that last year. And then behind him, they got a couple walk-ons, I believe. By the way, Michael Harrison is a walk-on wide receiver, not a tight end, playing tight end. Oh, really? Yes. That's always good to have in your tight end room. Um, But there's also talk of moving 
a guy named Omarion Miller, who is a four-star wide receiver, um, ranked number 32 in the 24-7 composite. Uh, as far as wide receivers go, there's talk of moving him to a uh, to the tight end spot. Um, so there's another wide receiver who's a tight end convert for uh, opposing defensive ends to feast on. Now, do we have do we have any of their tight end stance on the pyramids? That's a good question. Um, I have the TCU tight end stance on the pyramid, so I, I know where the, I know where Jared Wiley stands. <laughs> I need to know where Colorado stands. Are they in the zone or not? I'm gonna go with a no. You're gonna go that. with a no. <laughs> the t- that the, you heard it here first. The three wise or TCU's three wise men called it here first. Colorado tight ends believe in the pyramids. And that's I think that's just foreshadowing an automatic that, L that says it all. <laughs> one one thing I, I do want to touch on before we get into the rest of the skill positions for the offense. Like I said earlier, this offense is a run first offense. So it's it's based off of and Connor, you're gonna hate this, it's based off of Art Bryles Baylor system, um, is what it is. And it's going to be very similar to what TCU runs out during the game as well with Kendall Bryles on our side. Um, It's an error rate spread concept with a bunch of RPOs, read options, and it's meant to spread out the ball and run the ball right up the middle. And if they're not running the ball, they're swinging it out to their playmakers on the outside with speed. And that's basically what their offense is going to be. Um, Now, I think Joe Gillespie's got a pretty good system to defend this uh we saw it with kind of similar with michigan where the guards are pulling a lot they pull a lot of linemen in this offense um and honestly that works out to tcu's favor uh with our with our four two five um or three three five yeah i was gonna say with our three three five um i i don't expect it to be that big of an issue the one thing i will say is that Gillespie tends to leave his corners out on an island in our defensive system. And so we're just going to have to be very, very aware of a lot of different options of screens and movement of these speedsters. Um, and, but honestly, I, their O-line is not big whatsoever. Um, and we've got a lot of speed on the defensive side and a lot of size, especially in our secondary. Um, and so even with a run first offense, I don't necessarily expect it to go super well for them right off the bat. Yeah. But I will say that's not for a lack of talent in their running back room. Um, I think honestly, their running backs might be the most talented position on Colorado's roster. Uh, And they have a headliner in Alton McCaskill, who's a transfer from Houston Uh, But he hasn't played in over a year at this point because of injuries. Um, He almost had a thousand yards in his one season that he did play, but I personally don't expect him to play against TCU. He hasn't practiced uh, at all. Really. He's been in yellow jerseys or just not practicing. He's still recovering, I believe from an ACL tear. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, Um, but 
later in the season, I think Colorado fans are going to be really pleased with how McCaskill performs. I think he's a legitimate headlining back who uh, can really be a game breaker. And for what it's worth with, I'm whining about Colorado fans here. And obviously we're making a lot of jokes at their expense. I really hope they do see a lot out of him later in the season with them coming to the big 12 after week one, I want nothing but the best for them. I want prime time to have fun. I want them to make a lot, have a, make a splash. So I really do hope as he comes back, they see a lot of, a lot of productivity from him. I honestly think they will, but even if they don't, they have a plethora of people behind him who can take over uh, and headlined by Cavozzi smoke. Um, who's a transfer from Kentucky played there for five years. Uh, he has almost 1,600 total yards of rushing and 13 t- touchdowns. Um, he's not really your traditional speed back. He's more of a power guy. Uh, but we as TCU fans know that having that power guy is extremely important. We used Shewo in that, in that role for a long time when he was here. Um, but this year, he, he's also actually been hurt um the past couple weeks and he is not wearing a yellow jersey and practices anymore but uh i don't really expect him to start he'll probably play against us i'm not expecting him to start uh i think the starter against us is going to be a dude named anthony hankerson he did play in colorado's team last year he's one of the like five or six holdovers from last year's team. Uh, He had 68 carries for 275 yards and three touchdowns last year. He's kind of more of your traditional workhorse style back, early down back. He runs hard, not the fastest guy, not the most talented guy, but he's going to give you what he's got. Uh, And then I think the running back that we're going to really face the most Week one is a guy named Dylan Edwards. He's a true freshman out of Kansas. Uh, He's a uh, four-star, 0.92 rating on 24-7 sports. Um, The number 184 overall player in the country. He is a game-breaker. This dude's got speed to burn. He can catch. He can run. He crushed it for Kansas. The fans at Colorado absolutely love him. Uh, he's been tearing it up at practice. I think that he he will be somebody that TCU fans have to worry about. I think he could have a couple couple pretty good runs. Um, it will be his first game at the collegiate level. So he and let's face it, he's going to be seeing speed and size on, uh, from TCU that he hadn't seen in practice against Colorado. But I think he's going to be good. Uh, they also have Savion Wilkerson, who's a transfer from Jackson State, who has almost 500 carries for over 2,000 yards at the power or at the division one level. Um, and then they got a dude named Charlie Offerdahl who won't have very many carries. He's a walk on, but this guy is kind of like your Amari DiMarcato type. He's less talented than Amari. But he's one of those guys who's just going to give it absolutely everything he's got. If the ball's on the ground, he's going to be the first person diving there. He is their workhorse, not back, but he's their workhorse player who's going to absolutely try his hardest every single plays on the field. I don't know how 
much he will be on the field. But Colorado fans say that he might he's the dark horse running back for this year. So that is uh there that's something to look at. They got a solid four, five deep when McCaskill gets back. So their running backs are talented. Yeah, I, I would just say I've watched Smoke play. Um, the guy is built like a bowling ball. Uh, he's definitely the guy who will be the bruiser in that thunder and lightning um, kind of style where they'll, they'll they'll change the pace with a couple of guys rotating through there. Um, if if I were to guess, he, he will run over someone and he won't think twice about it. Um, I honestly think he was a pretty sneaky signing by Colorado. I... I don't think he got a lot of um, recognition whenever he did come over, but I actually do think he will be a pretty good piece for their backfield for this season. Moving on to quarterback, though, they have Shadur Sanders. Everybody knows who he is. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, that, that actually pretty much is it. Behind him, they have two three-star true freshmen. Um, so if, if, uh, Jamoy does his thing, <laughs> I was just thinking trouble. the same thing. I was, I was like, how can I say this without making it sound like we play dirty? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as for Shadur, I'm going to turn it over to Barrett here. Yeah. Let him go. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I'll say about Shadur before, before I start going into Shadur all the negative. <laughs> yeah. Refer, um, I start going into all the negatives uh, just to quiet the haters. I understand the hype with this guy. Um, going back and watching some of his tape, the guy has the brain of a quarterback. Um, is he going to beat you with his, with his athleticism? Probably not. Um, but from watching his tape, he's got really good field vision, really good awareness. He moves well in the pocket. He's got a cannon of an arm with really precise accurate and pinpoint accuracy um that 40 to 4 touchdown ratio uh with the 70 percent completion percentage that's kind of hard to overlook um so he's got all the fundamentals that you want from like a prototypical pocket passer quarterback um and so i i think he's a good quarterback the things that i will say that i noticed that are kind of dragging him down a bit uh, he holds on to the ball a long time in a lot of situations. Um, and he'll he'll kind of try and he'll move around in the pocket well, obviously, and stay out of pressure. But um, I think with with higher competition compared to what he played against at Jackson State, um, holding on to the ball that long is going to get him into trouble and get him in trouble quickly. Um, if he is under pressure, um, especially up the center, he tends to throw off his back foot a lot. Um, granted he has a cannon of an arm and so he can do that, but, um, he's not getting as much zip on the ball whenever he's under pressure. So I think if TCU gets at him and gets at him early, um, we can kind of get him off his rocker for a little bit. Um, one other thing that I noticed is that again, he's a really accurate quarterback, but he tries to force a lot of really tight windows and throws up a lot of 50, 50 balls on the outside where, I think realistically like Travis Hunter is coming down with that against some no-name cornerback in, in whatever league that they're playing in, in Jackson State. 
I think that TCU has the speed, the strength, the athleticism, and the ability at cornerback um, to where it makes those 50-50 balls a much more like a 40-60 um, or even worse. And so it'll be interesting to see if he tries to test TCU as much as he tested the corners whenever he was at Jackson State. Um, the only other thing I would say is that, and maybe this is just a product of him picking the right pass, um, but he's got a really short yards per attempt. It's like 7.7 yards per attempt. Um, and so a lot of his passes whenever he was at Jackson State were just kind of just off the line and letting his playmakers run. I honestly don't expect that to change that much this year. Um, if anything, it might even regress with the system that um, their OC is bringing over from Kent State with a bunch of screens and short passes. Um the way that that system is built, they're just going to dink and dunk and then try and beat you over the top. Um, and we saw a lot of that at Jackson State, too. So, I mean, again, really, really smart quarterback. He's not a dual threat, which is kind of contrarian to what you might expect with Sanders as his last name. Um, but honestly, I, he's going to be a tough test for us. Uh, I think it'll be a good test for Avery Helm. Um, in his first game at, at TCU. I think Josh Newton's got that wide receiver one on lock, um, much like he did have the wide receiver two last year. I think the big test will be in the slot for us, honestly. Um, I I could honestly see them torching us in the slot um, if we don't you know, scheme right, get some pressure on him early. I, I honestly think, though, his, his O-line's probably going to let him down <laughs> in this game. Um, and he'll be under pressure quite a bit. And I, and that that's how we'll get to him is that we just send pressure up the middle. I feel really – I don't want to get too much into the O-line because we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But I I feel really good off of just a couple things you said there. One about getting pressure to him early. A lot of the highlights I've seen of him going around Twitter from Colorado fans, I'm looking at it and I'm like the amount of time it took him to get that together, TCU would have just absolutely drilled him by then. So I've felt really good about getting pressure early on him. And the other thing I feel good about is how you talk about how they are more of a dink and dunk as opposed to a just kind of throw it and let their playmakers do what they do. I'm a lot more afraid of the throw it and let the playmakers do what they do just because at least in the past, that feels to me like when we get burned, they we talked about it last week. They see through our 335 and they hit us with some massive play the dink and dunk i'm much more comfortable with gillespie stopping so i i feel a lot of optimism from optimism from what you just said obviously don't want to take the threat too unseriously like you said there's a lot seriousness to offer in him and he is a serious threat but the couple of weaknesses you pointed to i think favor well for us yeah overall i'd say he's a good quarterback and we should be wary of him there are definitely some holes in his game that I think TCU could easily exploit in this, in this matchup. Yeah. And that'll make that, that'll, that'll definitely happen uh, by getting pressure to him. And with this offensive line, I think we will be getting pressure to him, especially with Tyler Brown, um, the left guard transfer from Jackson state, who's, uh, waiver eligibility waiver was denied a couple days ago by the NCAA. He basically decided 
to transfer to Colorado early and play throughout the spring instead of waiting a semester to graduate. And that ended up being his second transfer, and the NCAA only allows one transfer. And because of that, uh, mm -hmm. the NCAA did not find sufficient reason to grant him a waiver. Uh, we have a, a lineman from Jackson State as well who waited until the summer. He graduated and then had no problem playing for us, um, which I think was the smart move. But Tyler Brown didn't do that. And so he will be sitting out a season before being eligible to play for Colorado next year. So best luck of him for, to him next year. But without him, they pretty much have, I think, six offensive linemen who are kind of ready to play. Who completely weigh the same amount as four offensive linemen. Pretty much. Uh, but I'll just run through the projected starters or my projected starters at this point. Uh, you have a dude named uh, Gerard, Gerard Christian Lichtenhan. He's at left tackle. He has 67 snaps, basically all happening last year. He's 6'10", 315. At left guard, you have Jack Wilty, who's a transfer from Iowa Central Community College. A true uh, powerhouse. Absolutely. Cornbread, corn-fed. 6'4", 310. Uh, was a three-star transfer. Uh, and then you have freshman All-American Van Wells uh, starting at center for Colorado. He was a converted tight end. He's 6'2 and weighs 290. Played Wait, nine the, games they've got a freshman All-American starting there? Yeah. Wow, yeah, I didn't realize he, that. He was good last year. And again, I like say, that's, that's legit. Yeah, he's he's a converted tight end, but he's he's a good center. Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just that threw me for a second. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that until Barrett told me before we started. So I don't um, know anything until you tell me what Barrett told you. So that that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> right guard, you have Landon Beebe. Uh, he's a transfer from Missouri State, 6'3, 300 pounds. He has 41 games under his belt, 35 starts. But most of his starts have been at left guard, not right guard. I don't know if that makes all that much of a difference. The dude has a lot of experience regardless. Uh, and then you have Savion Washington at right tackle. He's a transfer from Kent State. Uh, the OC brought him over. He's 6'8", 320, by far the biggest guy on their offensive line. Uh, he's played 12 games, 11 starts, all of them happening last year pretty much in three years. Um, and then the one other offensive lineman who I think will play is a dude named Jack Bailey, who's also from Kent State. Uh, he's 6'3", 280. He's played in 22 games with 18 starts over the past four years. So they're relatively small. Basically, everybody is in the 290 to 310 range. Um, but they have starts between them, I guess. Yeah. And, and one thing I will note, like their two tackles are big dudes. They're 6'10", 6'8", 315, 320. Like they're both big guys that they lose a lot of size when you get into the interior of the, offen of the offensive line, which is honestly contrary to what you might think. Um, but 
I, I think Dominic Williams is going to have a field day with this O-line in all honesty. Um, he He's a big dude. And <laughs> and the way that our D-line is built and the way our system works with that 3-3-5 is those guys just eat up blocks. And it's a lot harder to get off of a block when you've got 40 pounds given to the other guy on the defensive line. <laughs> so... Yeah, and I mean, he had a coming out party last year when he was 17 against Colorado, and I think he'll have another coming out party oh this year. When I he's forgot he was 17 last year when he played that game. Yeah. That's right. Nuts. And he was still like 315. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, because I remember the announcers made a whole big deal about our um, – we, we had a 30-year-old and a 17-year-old on the same team. <laughs> That's right. Gotta love Jordy Sandy. Shout out to the punters. Um, but overall, their skill positions are really good. Line is a little bit suspect. And I think that's pretty much what you'll find on the defensive end as well. Although their defensive transfers and additions were much more uh, mu- much more notable than their offensive additions. Um, so I'll just get started. You got Jordan Dominic who I know Barrett will talk about. He's our transfer from Arkansas. He's a he's projected starter at left end, left edge, because they play um, a 4-2-5. And then Leonard Payne Jr., he's a transfer from Fresno State. Um, he, he'll be their nose tackle. He's 6'3", 300 pounds. Uh, Shane Cokes is a transfer from Dartmouth, so he, at least he's smart. Um, he's, <laughs> he's six, three, two seventy five, And then right edge, you have Derek McClendon, the second, um, who was at Florida state last year, six, four, two fifty. So you got, you got a decent amount of size kind of in the middle there. And then you have some speed and definitely some athleticism on the edges. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'll, I'll say about both of these edges, McClendon and Dominic, they're both kind of twitchy, bendy guys with a lot of speed and athleticism. Um, I, they're not going to overpower our O line, especially the two tackles on the outside. And um, we got some big dudes out there, but but they can move and groove, and and they're they're they've got a pretty fast line. Um, like I said, they don't got a lot of strength in there though. <laughs> Most of TCU fans' problem. Uh, with Coker being his footwork was a little bit of an issue. Um, moving from right tackle to left tackle, the footwork's even more important. Um, of course, I trust our offensive line coach at this point. He absolutely knocked it out of the park last year. Um, but that'll definitely be something to watch with both Dominic and McClendon both having four or five years of experience in that power five system um, to get ready. I think, I think they're they're The defensive line could cause some issues, but they're not terribly deep. We have two linebacker positions, middle linebacker and weak side linebacker. Um, you have Demoy Kennedy, who's a transfer from Alabama. So, you know, he can play uh, six, three, two, 15. I, Spent two years at Alabama and didn't really play much. Uh, and then you have Levante Bentley, six foot two thirty. Um, he's a transfer from Clemson, 
and the, he actually has a lot of experience. He played, spent four years at Clemson, at 68 tackles, 43 solo tackles, two forced fumbles, and five and a half sacks. Uh, so their linebackers have have a pretty good pedigree behind them. Uh, and they also have transfer from Florida State, Brendan Grant, and transfer transfer from Jackson State, Jeremiah Brown, behind those two. So new look linebacking core, but some some good athletes at least. Um, and if I had to guess, some good players, especially because Brendan Gant has spent four years at Florida State and has over 100 tackles in his career. So um, that's – that's a pretty good linebacking core. One thing, one thing I'll say about the defense as a whole compared to the offense in terms of transfers, they've got a lot more blue blood on the defensive side. Um, yeah. Granted, not not all of these guys played at those blue blood schools, but they at least were good enough to get recruited there. Yeah, I mean they're they may not have been playing, but we're not hearing the names Jackson State and USF on this defensive side. We're hearing Bama and Clemson. Yeah. And yeah, I think- and I mean. That, that just means the potential is there. Um, and if you can unlock that potential, then they got they have a chance to be a good defense. Yeah, and to go along with this Blue Blood conversation quickly, um, their defensive coordinator was actually co-associate DC at Bama. His name's Charles Kelly. Um, honestly, there's not much I can say about their defense in terms of what to expect because his entire philosophy is a multiple defensive front. So he changes it with every team that they play. And so it, the, the whole premise is to, for you to not know what to expect. One thing we can expect, though, a lot of versatility across the board from the defense, a um, lot of speed. Um, he's, he was also the safeties coach back at Bama, which like they pump out phenomenal defensive backs. Um, so he, he's, he's got some good talent to play with in that secondary, and he's a good coach for them. Um, one thing I do know and I can say is he likes to attack on defense. Like he's a heavy blitzer um, coming from a lot of horrendous nights watching Arkansas get stomped by the Bama's defense. Um, the guy blitzes a lot and we should expect that, especially with the guy, um, the Clemson linebacker coming in, McClendon or whatever his name is. Uh, Bentley. Bentley, Yes. Bentley, um, you saw five and a half sacks. The guy's athletic, likes likes to get at the quarterback from that linebacker spot. I, I expect them to send a lot of heat our way, especially with Chandler kind of retaking the reins here. Yeah, I, I think I think we can definitely expect some heat, and if Chandler can then just fill in where they came from with a with Wiley or whoever's playing slot, JoJo or JPR then uh, I think we can really take advantage of that, get the ball out quickly. Colorado has the aforementioned Travis Hunter starting and most likely Omarion Cooper, who is a transfer from Florida State. Uh, I think those two are going to be their starting corners. Um, Hunter had a good year last year. Eight passes defended, stands out. That's, That's a lot of passes defended for one year playing. Um, Cooper has, uh, he he produced at Florida state. He had two years, three interceptions, a forced fumble and four passes defended. Um, then behind them, not too much in the cornerback room. You have Kenrich Breedlove, who's a transfer from Old Miss. 
And then you have two walk-ons who are true freshmen and uh, former number one cornerback, number 13 overall player from this past year, Cormani McLean. So I think you'll get some run. I think he's a good player. Um, yeah. Again, a lot of athleticism in, in the secondary. Um, one thing I will say, though, Travis Hunter is not a big dude. He's fast. He's athletic. He's 165 pounds. Um, I will be very, very interested to see how he holds up against some prime power five talent in that wide receiver room that have 40, 50 pounds on him. Yeah, and if you match him up with Savion, like Savion 6'4", 215. I mean, Hunter's 5'10", 160. I know Hunter's a freak athlete. People could say that all they want, but like Savion's also a freak athlete. So, exactly. I was I was biting my tongue, but that's what I was like, okay, I that's great that he's a freak athlete, but we have freak athletes too. Yeah. Absolutely. The, yeah. I, one thing I'll say, there's a reason there are weight classes in MMA and boxing. Um and for whatever reason we're deciding to put guys who have fifty pounds up against each other. So We'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe his freak athleticism helps him. Obviously, like, he was one of the top recruits. He's a phenomenal football player. Not trying to bash him at all, but he's small. Um, And we can definitely use that to our advantage. Yeah, I mean, just throw a jump ball. I'd take a 6'4 guy with that wingspan and how high I know Sapien can jump. Like, just throw a jump ball. (laughs) But... Uh, anyway, moving on, their safeties have a lot of talent. Um, you have a Jock, Jacquez Robinson, who's a transfer from Alabama, and Miles Slusher, who are kind of competing at that star position. Slusher's from Arkansas. Uh, then strong safety, you have kind of the only holdover from last year's Colorado squad on defense, Trevor Woods. Um Dude absolutely crushed it last year. He's like the only good player on Arkansas. Or on, ugh, I don't know why I keep saying Arkansas. Colorado's defense. Um, he's a good player. Uh, and then you have Shiloh Sanders, free safety. It's a transfer from Jackson State. Spent a couple of years at South Carolina as well. Both of those guys are good. Um, the other Sanders brother. Yeah. But their defense, uh, they got players. On their defense, a lot of potential. We'll see if it's realized this year. Um, hopefully it won't be against us. Yeah, that that nickel corner kind of slot safety role will be interesting to see who comes out on top there. Um, Jock is Robinson. He's good. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm partial, obviously, here. But I loved Miles Luster when he was at Arkansas. I was sad to see him go. The guy's... Filled in really well for Jalen Catalan when he got hurt. Um, he throws his body around. He is a heavy hitter. And so we, we got to be careful with those crossing rats over the middle because he will lay a dude out if he sees the opportunity to um, hurt himself in the process. But but I, I really like Slusher. Um, I like him in that nickel role. We'll, we'll see if, if he kind of battles for that slot or potentially gets moved somewhere else. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Oh, one thing I do want to shout out is Cameron 
Silman Craig. He's a transfer from Jackson State. This dude, he's a strong safety. He might have the weirdest stat line for a year that I've ever seen. Uh, his first year at Jackson State, he had like one tackle and three interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know how you do that. Because if you're playing enough to get three interceptions, you're playing a decent amount. And to have one tackle and three interceptions, that's just – that's impressive. That's an island over there. You, you throw at him once and you don't throw at him again because he picked it off. Cameron Island. Probably won't play, but props to him. <laughs> but really, with all these new players, I'm just wondering – I don't know how we're going to prepare for him. Now, Barrett, you might have a little bit more on this. Yeah, Um I think on the defensive side, it's going to be pretty easy to prepare for them because we're going to be we we will have been playing against a very similar offense in our own offense and practice very consistently. So um, I don't think that scheme or or game plan is going to change much versus when we're playing our own offense in practice. Um, it's going to be a run heavy offense. They're going to run RPOs and throw it out to guys on the outside, like I said. Um, offensively they've got a lot of athleticism and speed they don't have a lot of size um Kendall Browse offense again like Sean Lewis's is a run heavy offense where we run it up the middle and throw it to the outside or throw it deep and I ex- honestly expect this to be a bit of a bloodbath on the interior when we're on offense and I, I think we've run it down Colorado's throats in this game one I have kind of five key matchups to watch for this game. Um, first would be Andrew Coker versus Dominic. You mentioned it briefly, but um, Coker's footwork was a bit suspect at times last year at right tackle. Um, and so moving him over to that left tackle spot, can he hold up against a, an athletic, twitchy defensive end who's known for their pass rush ability? Um, the second matchup I have is Josh Newton versus whoever ends up being Colorado's wide receiver one. Um, maybe it's Horn, although he'll po- probably be playing the slot. Maybe it's Xavier, but um, I think that'll be an interesting matchup to watch just to see if Josh Newton can, obviously he held it down great in CB2 last year, but if he can slide over and be that lockdown cornerback that THT was last year and just kind of keep the ball rolling, Um, And likewise, same thing with Avery Helm coming in to transfer, filling Josh Newton's old role. Um, Third matchup will be on our offensive side. Whoever our slot receiver is, whether that's JoJo or JP um, versus whoever their slot corner or nickel corner is, um, I think that'll be a key matchup for us in terms of kind of creating or developing the offense. Um, Fourth matchup. Dominic Williams versus Colorado's interior offensive line. Um, most specifically, um, their, their freshman All-American center. Um, they don't have a lot of size on the interior, and Dominic is a big dude. Um, I expect him to eat, honestly, especially in the run game. Um, although he is lining up directly across from their freshman All-American, so potentially that will be a good matchup to watch. And then finally... Travis Hunter versus the Heat, um, and that's that's a bit of a weird one, but it it is going to be triple digits down in Fort Worth during this game, 
Um, and Travis Hunter plays both ways. Um, I think that will have a huge impact on, especially his gameplay late into the game in that second half. Um, he's playing both ways and he's playing in a hundred degree weather and the, the away team at, at Amon G Carter is always in the sun. It's they an 11 o'clock game. Yeah. It's an 11 o'clock game. So they're going to be sitting in prime heat in the middle of Texas um, for the entire game. So, um, and honestly, I, I called out Hunter cause he plays both ways. Realistically, it's the entire Colorado team. Um, I know that their their coaches want them to be well conditioned, but they don't have a lot of depth. If someone goes down during this because of that heat, whether it be cramps or injury or whatever, um, they're they're in for a world of hurt because they don't have a lot of depth to recover from that. So just just to really put some framing into that, so Colorado players will be practicing this week with. It'll hit 90 on Wednesday and Thursday, but it'll mostly be between 50 and 70 this week in Colorado. They're going to come in on Saturday, and at the time the game starts, it will already be 95 degrees, and it'll climb to well into the hundreds during the game. It will literally be 50 degrees hotter than some of their practices. Like, just to put 50 degrees is an enormous change. Now, I'm being a little overdramatic because I'm taking their low and our high. But there will be points they're practicing in 50-degree weather this week for a game that's going to be 105 degrees. Yeah, and I have seen that Colorado is going to come to Texas on Thursday. I don't know if that's okay. true or not. That's what I've seen. But, I mean, shoot, two days of practice in that heat isn't really enough to get fully acclimated. The heat is going to decimate them. Now, that may or may not make the game, but it it is going to be a factor. Yeah, especially if we can jump on them early, score really quickly, tell them, hey, welcome to the big leagues. And because I, somebody <laughs> made a good point I saw on, um, I think it was Twitter or X, whatever you call it now. I'm calling it and, Twitter. <laughs> and somebody said, I mean, the team who's losing is always the team who feels the weather more. So that's a really good them, comment. I if like we can that jump a lot. On them quick, I think it's going to be, uh, it, it'd be even more beneficial. Well, and even, even if they're not necessarily losing, but like Barrett was talking about earlier, if we can apply some pressure early, if we can just get some really hard hits on their quarterback right from the get go. It's going to be hard to keep your spirits high when you're just getting hammered in 100-degree weather. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all I got for, for matchups. Yeah. Well, with matchups done and really their team done, I thought it would be kind of a fun game to play for you guys if I played Colorado's offensive line or TCU's defensive line. <laughs> So I'm going to choose a player off of one of the two. And you guys are going to have to guess which line this guy plays for. So we'll start it off relatively easy. We'll get a 6'8", 320 pounds. Colorado O-line. Uh, yep. Yeah, That's the right the, okay. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> 
All right, now it's going to get a little bit tougher because Barrett got one right. Six three two ninety five. I'm going Colorado O line. Uh, I'm going to go TCU D line. Barrett's correct. That is Dang Caleb it. Fox projected starting strong side D end for TCU. Now let's see. Uh, six foot three, three hundred and ten pounds. Uh, I'll go TCU D-line again. All right, I'll go Colorado O-line again. You should stick with Barrett. I want. <laughs> I don't want to stick with Barrett. Barrett's smarter than me, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> That's uh, Tymon Mitchell, who's uh, – honestly, he's been playing all over the defensive line this year, so he could line up that end with Dom at tackle, like it, which would be a massive D-line. But – uh, let's go with six foot three, three hundred pounds. Colorado O line. F you. It has to be eventually. Yeah, it's your Colorado O line. Yeah, <laughs> Colorado line. That is Landon. There it Landon. is. <laughs> Listeners, don't ever doubt me. <laughs> Last but not least, six foot two, three hundred and twenty pounds. That's PC our D line. That's Dominic. PC D line. That is Dominic that's the, Williams. That's the big boy in the middle. Yeah. Barrett, congrats for going five for five. Yeah, that Dude, that's, honestly, I'm impressed. I'm compete against Get Barrett ever again. <laughs> I'll do it for the sake of the podcast, but I don't want to. Yeah, that uh, – I think that – I just wanted to do that to kind of show basically our D-line is the size of their offensive line. Um, so, Which is not normal. Or, well, now no, that we've now that we played that game, I, I'll hit on. Uh, we just announced our captains, and I want to give them some props for the season. Props a little bit right here. Coming off of last year, honestly, the biggest talent loss that's missing is not some athleticism or something. It is the leadership factor in Max Duggan. So, who our captains are and where that leadership's coming from is going to matter a lot, in my personal opinion. Uh, this year, we've got Josh Newton, Jared Wiley, Jamoy Hodge, Bud Clark, Andrew Coker, Brandon Coleman. First off, congratulations to all of them. Second off, I love that list of captains. Off the top of my head, I can't think of someone that I want on there that isn't. I really like that Jared Wiley's on there. I think Jared Wiley's a stud, and I like that being rewarded and seeing him take that leadership. Bud Clark is an absolute stud. I love that. Coker and Coleman, love seeing that. Hodge is the destroyer of other of other teams' quarterbacks, so you know, good for him. We need to reward the skeletons on which we've built our program. <laughs> and then Josh Newton, the the excitement I've seen rallying behind Josh Newton this year has been great. I love the way our fans are rallying behind him. I like this squad of captains. I think it's 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 the leadership that I hope we need. And I, I, I feel good about them. I don't know if you guys have anything more you want to add to that. The only thing I'll add is that the, the coaches are recognizing and rewarding pure intelligence and yes. genius in, in Wiley um, for his statement that the pyramids don't exist. So, I mean. You, are you really going to pick a captain who thinks that the pyramids? Well, hold on, to be fair, I if I recall correctly, I don't know that his claim is that the pyramids don't exist themselves. It's more that they 
don't exist in the historical context we have them and the government put them there to distract us just like wiley wiley is a team captain he's not getting distracted he's not falling for the bird sigh up drones that barrett is representing over there yeah and i think chandler morris agreed with him chandler morris definitely didn't disagree he definitely didn't. And at the very least, I think it's worth noting that for that to have been filmed, they had that conversation already. And Chandler called him over being like, oh, no, I got this. Hold on, Jared, come here. How do you feel about the pyramids? <laughs> so it's a topic of conversation at practice. And clearly we're getting from the top leadership the real <laughs> message down to the to the newer, younger guys. We We have a team that really knows what it's doing. On that note, now that we've covered a little bit of everything – what are you guys' score predictions for this game? And I will say, going into this, Vegas has us winning by 21 points. So what do you guys what do you guys see for that? Uh, I, I think Vegas has a pretty good handle on this. Um, I don't necessarily know if it'll be 21. I think I think I'm gonna go. 34-17 TCU. Man. Well, I can tell you that it will be 21. Uh, at least. And I'm going to go with more than 21. Uh, I'm going to be going 24-56. to 56. TCU wins it. I have two things. One, just off of what Barrett said. I am strictly morally opposed to taking the under on any game I'm going to watch. I vehemently disagree with the premise just because that's a terrible decision. I don't want to root against there being touchdowns. <laughs> um, that being said, I, I'm i picking pretty close to Jacob. I think we're definitely going to be more than 21. I'm saying it's going to be like 56 to 21. I think at the end of the day... We talked a lot about a lot of their positions not being that deep. They've got some freak athlete up front, but there's nothing behind him. We've made a couple jokes this episode about TCU's season last year being built on skeletons from injuries. There is a reality that people get injured when they play TCU. I don't think it's because we play dirty. I think it's because we play really tough and people expect a little nothing from us. And when we come out and play really tough, they get hurt. I think somebody on Colorado's team is going to get hurt and there's not going to be a backup sufficient for that. I don't know who it's going to be, but it's going to be someone. We're going to hammer that weakness and we're going to put up almost the over on our own. The over for this over under for this game is 59 and a half. I think we're putting up close to 56. And then I think they get two impressive runaway plays on us where they just absolutely burn us, where they get two touchdowns somewhere. And then at the very end of the game, we've got backups in and they get one last gimme garbage time touchdown. That's a really specific prediction that I, like, I am a genius giving my non-genius take. I'll probably be very wrong, but I'm going 56-21 on that, all things considered for that. And with that, talking about Vegas, talking about predictions, we have got my bets for the week. A quick rundown from last week. I'll uh, mention, I forgot to put my bets on the recording last week, but I did send it to our group chat so Jacob and Barrett can keep me honest on this. 
my predictions last week, the only games I missed were UMass, New Mexico State, which was heartbreaking to see Jerry Kill lose, and South Carolina State, Jackson State, Florida Memorial LaGrange. Uh, for those who were not paying attention to our Twitter, which you should pay attention to our Twitter, Florida Memorial LaGrange was an absolute outrage. LaGrange backed out of the game of the century. Those of you who are based out of Georgia, write your local representatives to call out LaGrange for the crime they've committed. However, neither Jacob nor I got the free points over Barrett because Florida Memorial didn't even beat the team they played against otherwise. The final score on our point systems we got there, I had 12 points and Jacob and Barrett each took five points. My bets for the week last week, I had Jacksonville State outright and Navy covering. So I went one and one. But for those of you paying close attention, the payout on Jacksonville State was higher than the payout for Navy covering. I am up exactly $1 on the season. You are welcome for my money printing financial advice here. As for next week, I've picked a slot of games for you guys to predict, and I will remember to give my prediction this time as well. Um, I've got every Big 12 game, and then I've got a cup, and the Big 12 games should be pretty easy predictions because most of them are playing joke schools. I highlighted a couple other major games around the school, around the country for our one-point round, and then like last week, I've got a three-point round and a five-point round. So Last week, Barrett picked first, so this week I'm going to have Jacob pick first. Jacob, who do you see winning Kent State at UCF? I got to go with UCF. Go Golden Knights. Barrett, how about you? Uh, I'm going to go UCF. Kent State lost their head coach to Colorado. I, I put UCF, too. I mean, that seems like a gimme. Kent State is not particularly impressive. All right, Kansas, or Missouri State at Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, I'm going to go with KU here. I have Kansas, too. I love Kansas. I want nothing but the best for them. Colorado at TCU. We all just gave our predictions, so TCU across the board there. Texas Tech at Wyoming. Tech. Uh, I'm going to go with Wyoming on this one. I, for whatever reason, I think they, they pull out a sneaky one. All right. I am not friends with Barrett right now. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, I am a Ph.D. student at Texas Tech. I am a TCU fan through and through, but Texas Tech is like my third team. So I'm picking Texas Tech. There Arkansas State at Oklahoma. You go with OU. OU. I filled in OUs for you guys before we even got to that one. <laughs> Northern Iowa at Iowa State. I'm going to go with Northern Iowa. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take Matt Campbell on this one. All right, I'm, I'm with you, Barrett. I've got Iowa State as well. All right, Rice at Texas. This is a tough one. Rice Rice gave Texas a fight for like three minutes last year. <laughs> uh, so, But I think I have to stick with Texas. <laughs> They're back. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to pick Texas for this one, but you, you probably won't see me picking them much sooner. I've got Texas for this one. We'll talk more about it next week when we get into the week they play Bama, but I, and more importantly, the week after that. I'm going to say right now, I have them playing Bama close, but I do have them at the very least failing to cover and likely losing the week after they play Bama once they've gotten their national attention. But for now, I'm giving Texas the pick as well. 
All right, Eastern Kentucky at Cincy. Cincy. Yeah, I'm going to go with Cincy on this one. I'm with you guys. I went with Cincy as well. Southeastern Missouri at K-State. K-State. Yeah, K-State. That feels like a gimme as well. Texas State at Baylor. You know, I'm not picking Baylor single time this year. Texas State. <laughs> uh, so Texas State has Arkansas's former backup quarterback and Malik Hornsby playing for them now. If any of you guys watched him play at Arkansas, the dude is a horrendous quarterback, but he is an absolute freak of an athlete. Um, I'm, I'm honestly going to pick Texas state here because I feel like he does the Forrest Gump and just runs to the sideline and turns hard 90 degrees and runs up the sideline for a touchdown, like every play. So I put in my picks before we recorded and already written in here. It looks like we are unanimous because I picked (laughs) Texas state as well. I have a very similar mindset to Jacob on this one. All right. UTSA at Houston. I'm going to go with UTSA. Eric? Yeah, I think this one's closer than it probably should be. I'm, I'm still going to pick Houston here, though. So I agreed with Jacob again on this one. I took UTSA as well. And I'll actually have it be known on that. Not only did I take UTSA, so did Vegas. UTSA is picked to win this game by one point. Wow. All right. More. Central Arkansas at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Uh, I want to say bear down, but yeah, Oklahoma State. <laughs> All right. We are unanimous again. I picked Oklahoma State. West Virginia at Penn State. Penn State. Easy. Yeah, I'm going to pick Penn State here. I don't think so, they're that good, but I think they win it. I picked Penn State as well, but I want to pick it with an asterisk here. I noticed on College Game Day yesterday and on a couple of the other halftime talk shows – the sports media conglomerate sucking off Big Ten SEC Goliath was laying a lot of groundwork to cover themselves for if West Virginia pulls off this win. There were a lot of people picking West Virginia as their dark horse. There were all there was a lot of weirdly positive talk about West Virginia from guys who otherwise wouldn't know West Virginia was a school. And I saw a lot of groundwork being laid so that next week, just in case, if they have to, they can say, oh, no, look, West Virginia was supposed to be good. We called it. I I think that game's going to be interesting to watch. Sam Houston at BYU in Sam Houston's first FBS game. Before before that, you do know that Pat McAfee went to West Virginia, right? So, like, college game day will now be picking West Virginia to win, like, every week. It wasn't Pat McAfee, though. Pat McAfee was talking about Tennessee. I can't remember who it was, but they butted in and talked about West Virginia. It wasn't Pat McAfee. It was one of the other guys. All right. I think they're laying groundwork. I'm calling my conspiracy. (laughs) I'm picking BYU. Yeah, BYU all the way here. BYU as well. All right. Now we're getting into a little bit of the rest of the country here. I got to move my camera because I can't see my list. Florida at Utah. I want to pick Utah, but their fans have just been the absolute worst since 
Pitt was announced that they're moving to the Big 12. So I will be picking Florida. I'm sorry, Connor. No, I'm, I'm going to pick Utah here. I honestly like Florida every single year. They have a phenomenal defense. And their offense is horrendously bad. Horrendously bad every year. Um, so for that matter, I'm going to pick Utah here. I think Utah's actually got a pretty good team. I'm also picking Utah. Uh, in this particular Urban Meyer Bowl, I I can't ever pick Florida. I'm a Florida State guy, and then a bunch of my family went to Utah. I'm very biased on this game. Uh, Utah was my only way to go. Boise at Washington. 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 I disagreed with you guys. I picked Boise. I have to say, Boise has always scared me. They are the destroyer of Power 5 seasons. They are just good enough that you can beat that that they can beat you, and they're not good enough for it to mean anything if you beat them. Uh, I think Washington loses this one, so I picked Boise. LSU, Florida State. Florida State. They'll win the ACC this year. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't necessarily understand all the JT Daniels hype for LSU. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's all that great. I think he's very much like Anthony Richardson 2.0. Um, he's got all the tools, but never actually puts it together. So I'm going to go with Florida State here. Well, I obviously am going with my Knowles. Oh, 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 oh. All right. <laughs> now we are on to the three-point round. We have got some powerhouses for this three-point round. Our first matchup is Merrimack at Holy Cross. <laughs> um, well, I got to go with Holy Cross uh, because if, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And Merrimack is absolutely included in that who. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. I'm, I'm going to go with Merrimack just because it's fun to say. <laughs> All right. I went with Holy Cross because my grandfather went to Holy Cross. And they've been a powerhouse in every single game I've watched them play. I've never once watched a game where I was not impressed by them. <laughs> so you're saying you've never watched Holy Cross play. I will neither confirm nor to deny <laughs> Now... I picked one near and dear to Barrett's heart with our next one. I've got Fayetteville State at UNC Pembroke, which actually, it occurs to me, I've got Fayetteville versus uh, North Carolina School, so I went with both of you guys here. To be fair, that's Fayetteville, North Carolina. (laughs) 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 But close, close, but no cigar. (laughs) Well, I'm going with Pembroke. I had a couple friends from high school go play there. Yeah. Right, Barrett? I got to go with Fayetteville. I mean, come on, support the namesake for my hometown. I, I went with Fayetteville because I found that it was a beautiful city when I visited Fayetteville, Arkansas. <laughs> I didn't realize it was in North Carolina. Oh. oh, did Barrett just die? Well, we lost Barrett, but uh, Connor is going to have Excel pick for Barrett. So he's having the all-genius AI pick for him. 
right, I have Barrett's picks ready to go over here. All right. So for our next game, our last game in the three-point round, we have Hobart at Alfred. Well, I know that one wasn't Batman's butler, and the other was. I'm going to go with Alfred. You're going to go with Alfred? I also went with Alfred myself because I have a friend who went to Alfred. I don't know anything about their program, but I know he went there. He didn't like it, and he transferred to go somewhere else, but he was there briefly, and that's enough for me to pick Alfred. For our last game... Wait, who'd Barrett pick? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to include that. Barrett picked Hobart. So luckily, XL picked against us. So we've got someone sort of mixing things up. Barrett's over here. Big Hobart guy, Barrett is. I I actually, I think XL went with him. I remember him talking a lot about Hobart when we went to college together. So that's Yeah, I I thought, I think he actually was considering going there, if I remember right. I'm almost shocked he didn't go there. Um, Yeah. But anyway, for our last round, our five-point game... We are going to pick a game where you and Barrett do not get to know who's playing. I, for the sake of fairness, since I know who's playing, I had XL pick for me. So XL is going to pick for me and for Barrett. And with that, you have to pick one or two, Jacob. I am going to choose team one. Interestingly enough, we all chose Team 1 because XL picked Team 1 for me and Barrett as well. If you want to see who it was we picked in this particular mystery game, come back next week to TCU's Three Wise Men where you can see your three favorite geniuses give their not-so-genius takes on all things TCU sports. Thank you all so much for listening. and Go Frogs. He just fought. I seen two of y'all walking off over there. And you got to keep teammate fighting. What they do there? Nowhere. Nowhere. Not what here. they do there? Not Nowhere. here. In one fight, we all fight. You understand that? Yes, I don't want to see y'all walking off when somebody's fighting. Yes, sir. Never again. Flags are on the fields, and this is getting ugly. And now players are leaving the bench from TCU. Unsportsmanlike conduct. TCU bench. Everybody on the field. In one fight, we all fight.